So, speaking of the family ministry, got a real treat for you all this morning. Jason Smith, leader of the family ministry and who's been a resident pastor here at Vineyard Northwest for some time, is actually going to be giving the message today. So why don't we welcome Jason up? Good morning. It's not quite afternoon. Uh, it's really great to be here. Um, I shared in the first service that uh, my wife and I and my, my son Jack, who's here, and then Ben and Sammy, we came to Vineyard Northwest a little over two years ago, and uh, we had just gone through closing a church in Mason, a vineyard church, and so this this place has just been home to us, and I wanted to thank everyone here, thank Van and Lori, but just, just thank you all for being an awesome church. The, it's just been a great place for us to land, great place for our kids, and so I say thank you. Uh, I did want to just say one thing about the outreach. We, we are doing that in partnership with the Coleraine Schools, with the, actually the Northwest School District. And so the goal is to give school supplies to 500 kids. Uh, they, they, they anticipate 500 kids will show up. And so we're providing the pencils, but we're partnering uh, with all kinds of churches around here who are providing other pieces of that bag. And so uh, just a really cool kingdom opportunity to work with churches, work with the schools, and provide something. Uh, you know, it makes it a little bit easier if you don't have to pay for something when school starts. And so we encourage everybody to come out and just check it out too. So, but we're providing pen, five pencils for 500 kids. So bring us pencils next Sunday. Okay. So, um, I wanted to start this morning and just tell you a story from my family's life. Uh, in early 2000s, 2003, my family, I, I got out of the coast guard and went to seminary to prepare for ministry. So I went to graduate school to prepare, prepare for ministry. And, uh, at that point, Jack was one, and we had just like a really strong desire to grow our family. We quickly realized like that was not going to be as easy as we thought. We had a really terrible miscarriage, um, and then another miscarriage, and we realized um, that it was going to take more to bring a baby into the world than we imagined. And um, when I say we, I mean Emily had to endure more. I mean, I really do mean that. Like, she had to undergo a surgery. Uh, to our delight, three and a half years later, we did get pregnant with Benjamin, who's now our middle son. And the pregnancy went really well. But Emily, like, literally had to give herself a shot every day for the first four months of the pregnancy to bring that to term. And so, uh, unfortunately... About a month before Ben's due date, three weeks before his due date, Emily got really sick with a, like a cold flu. She was just coughing terribly, and she started having some like chest and back pain, not like lower back pain, but up around her rib cage. And uh, it got so bad one night, like we actually thought she'd gone into labor. We went to the hospital. They ran every test under the sun. They did a chest X-ray. And they said, well, you're not in labor. You're going to be fine. You have a really bad cold. Go home. And they gave us some medicine. And, and we thought, okay, we can, 
tough this out for a, a few more weeks. About a week later, my mom had come to town uh, just to give us a little bit of a break with Jack so we could kind of prep for, you know, being parents of two kids, not just one. And we had all gone to dinner. My mom, Jack, Emily. I mean, we were just like at a Wendy's having a quick dinner. And Emily just like starts shrieking and doubles over in pain in the middle of the meal. And um, freaked me out, freaked all of us out. And she just said, like, I want to go home and take a shower, take some medicine. And like, hopefully 30 minutes, like, it'll feel better. So we got home, and she was in so much pain, guys, that uh, I had to cut her clothes off so she could get into the shower. So, like, we'd only been married for a couple of years. The vows got real really quick, <laughs> like in sickness and in health, you know. And um, it was just, just to be honest, it was just a terrifying moment. She got into the shower. She had some med- some cough medicine with pain medicine in it that was safe for the baby. And 30 minutes go by and 40 minutes go by and like nothing's changing. And so I, I said, we're going to the hospital. Go down, get in the car, we're going to the hospital. And this whole situation went from bad to worse to worse. We got to the hospital and they strapped you know every monitor onto Emily. They can't figure out, like, is she in labor? What has happened? And they finally, um, we, we finally just, like, started losing Emily. I mean, she was in so much pain. She wasn't dying, but she just had gone to a different place <laughs> to manage her pain. And I remember the, there were, like, six or seven nurses and doctors, and they're, like, flipping Emily, trying to position her right. And then the baby crashed, the heartbeat starts going out. Everybody, you know, is freaking out. I, I remember, like, I thought I was pretty tough. And I was standing in the back of the room by this sofa. And, it, like, it shook me so hard. I just, like, fell down onto the sofa. And I remember I just was praying, praying for God to intervene. But it felt terrible. Um. Shortly, I mean like an hour into this, hour and a half into it, our OB shows up and totally takes control of the room. You know, I mean, he just reads a couple of things on the chart, looks at a couple of things. He came over to me. He's like, I've got some great news. Like, you're going to have a baby right now. <laughs> and um, they started prepping Emily for the, the operating room and they put, took me off and put scrubs. And I, mean, I was just shaking. I remember sitting there in those scrubs just shaking. And they delivered Ben, and nothing was, uh, it was, he was beautiful, perfect. Now, Emily, on the other hand, was not. And I remember they wheeled us out of the room, and I, was, I kissed her, and she didn't even care about herself. <laughs> How's the baby? You go with the baby. They're going to take me. And um, they took Emily right down, and they, they did a CT scan. They hadn't been able to do that with the baby, and found that her lung had collapsed. So during this whole thing, her chest had been filling up with fluid from irritation. And finally, at Wendy's, bam, her lung collapsed. And so they took her down to the ICU, inserted a chest tube, pulled out a couple of liters of fluid. And Now, I wish at this point in the story I could tell you guys that. And then I had a powerful encounter with God. But I, just to be honest, it was not like that. It was really scary. It was traumatic. 
And, and it didn't get better fast. But Emily couldn't breastfeed, which was traumatic in itself. Emily, it took her like months to recover from the lung, not, not a couple of weeks. And I mean, she was in so much pain from the lung that she doesn't even remember recovering from the C-section. So um, I want to leave that story right there for you and then introduce what I'm talking about today. And I'll come back to it, I promise. So it might feel like I'm leaving you hanging, but I will come back to it. Today, uh, over the last several weeks, we've been talking about praying from heaven's perspective. And today, I, I want to talk about like how do we pray by ourselves, for ourselves, with a prophetic imagination, okay? And I'm going to break that down for you as I explain it, and, and I, I think it'll make sense. Uh, when I talk about the prophetic, um, we talk about prophecy a lot here at Vineyard Northwest. And um, when I'm using it today, I'm simply talking about receiving revelation from God. Um, Understanding, having an understanding, seeing, hearing, reading scripture, and having God's perspective on life. That's what I mean by it. Now, uh, prophecy can be very intense. I mean, dreams, visions, encounters with angels. like Those are all things we see throughout the Bible. I mean, man, having manifestations of the Spirit that lead to prophetic encounters. But, but here, I'm simply talking about a spirit of prophecy that's available to all of us that helps us understand God's perspective. Jesus says uh, in Matthew 22, I did tell you, but you do not believe the works I do in my Father's names testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall, ne they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Uh, like my most simple definition of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is to say yes when Jesus says, follow me. Okay, so, now, that's very simple, but sometimes the follow me into whatever he's asking us to follow, like it hard, gets harder and harder to say yes. The wonderful thing is, Jesus says to us here, like, I am your shepherd, and you are my sheep, and you understand my voice. Like, Jesus totally believes that everyone sitting here, that all, everyone in the world who says yes to Jesus when he says, follow me, can hear his voice. That's, yeah, that's a really good word <laughs> from him. God, from the beginning of scripture all the way through the story of God, we see this like a beautiful picture that God is relational. He goes to any measure to communicate with, to be with, to interact with his people. And Jesus is the ultimate manifestation of how far God will go to help us understand him. I mean, Jesus 
Is God incarnate with us to come be with us so he can completely understand who we are? And we can hear his voice. We can very clearly hear his voice. Um, Jesus says in John 14, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because the Father and I are one, and you are in me. And I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. When Jesus promises us the Holy Spirit, this belief he has that like we'll be, we will encounter him comes even more to life because he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit to be with us forever. To continue doing that forever and ever. I mean, Jesus says, like, you will see me. You will encounter me. And that's the spirit of prophecy. The spirit of prophecy comes to us just to encounter us. To let us have an encounter with God. The second part is imagination. Now, I imagine... That when I say imagination, you imagine, like you might even imagine something weird. Daydreaming or imaginary friends. Or, like some of us even believe like our imagination's dangerous if let to its own devices. But, and I did play on words there just to show it. Like today, you guys have all been using your imagination this whole time I've been talking. Like when I told you the story about Emily and I and being in the hospital, like you all brought to your mind what was happening. You've envisioned it. The, the imagination is simply the faculty or action of forming new ideas or images or concepts of external objects not present to the senses. It's our ability to see things that aren't right in front of us. The question I think we have from a biblical perspective is like, where is the place of the imagination in us? Where does the imagination reside? Jesus says, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is first and greatest commandment. Surely this is where the imagination resides. In the mind, in the heart, in the soul. From a biblical perspective, that is a mystery. <laughs> it's actually a mystery in, in, our, in our world. Like, where is our mind? Where is your heart? Like, they're not talking, when they mention this in the Bible, Jesus is not talking about your physical heart. Where's your soul? It's the place in us that is created to communicate with God. 
Some theologians even think that like one of the theories about the image of God is that this is the image of God. Our heart, our soul, our mind. That's the thing in us that's the God stuff. That's the thing in us that God can use to communicate with us, to relate to us, to commune with us on an ongoing basis. Actually, in the Old Testament, you know, one of the really interesting things is we have these wonderful English translations that try to figure out context and help us understand words about this. But, but from an Old Testament perspective, there's no difference between the soul or the heart or the mind. Like it's always the same word or concept that we use context to translate. So when we say, oh my soul, that's the same as saying like, oh my mind, oh my heart from an Old Testament perspective. Now, I think now, like we actually know now, the brain participates in that process, but it isn't that. Like that, that's actually something that's baffling, currently baffling scientists. It, ba- it has baffled philosophers and theologians for thousands of years. Like we have a brain and it participates in helping us think and do things, but it's not the mind. Consciousness. You are conscious right now. You're able to listen to me. You can reason. You have logic. That, that's not in your brain. That's something that's brought to life in us by a spark from God. When Jesus says, in Luke he says this a little different. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. He's not saying, use your brain for God. Like, you actually, you need to be a st- physically strong person to follow Jesus. He's not saying, he is saying, with everything within you, in your innermost being, in that place that communicates with God, love him, worship him, surrender all of that to God. In Ezekiel 36, 26, Ezekiel is a prophet. He has the word of God and he, he shares with us what the new covenant looks like when Jesus comes. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees to be careful to keep my laws. What is awesome for us is like when we meet Jesus and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, that image of God, the soul, the spirit, the mind, our heart is all made new. There's complete access to God through that place. There's no blockage anymore. Before there was. With Jesus, there's not. That's what I mean by imagination. Allowing God to bring himself to life in the place of our mind, in our heart, to give us strength to live. Now you might be thinking like, what in the world does that have to do with prayer? (laughs) And when I'm talking about prayer here today, like we've... We talk a lot about the prophetic actually being a horizontal exercise. 
Like I come forward for a prayer line. I receive something from God, some revelation, and pray it for you, share it to you. Today, I'm strictly talking about a vertical relationship. Like, what does this look like to use my prophetic imagination when I'm just being with Jesus? I'm just communing with God. I'm just relating to him. Like, I believe God wants to testify to who he really is in that place in you when you're just being with him. But the Bible does encourage us when we do that to pray in the spirit. In Ephesians 6.18 it says, And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. That like emphasis in the New Testament, I think, is Paul saying, use everything you've got on, in your inner being to pray. <laughs> like everything you've got within you, your mind, your heart, your spirit, your will, your strength, like where are all those things? It's a mystery, but use them to pray, to commune with God. I have a few examples of this from Scripture that I want to point out. Like, what's this look like when we see it in the Bible? In Revelation 4, the Apostle John is, is having a prophetic encounter with God. We all know that it's hard to make sense of sometimes. But watch this. In Revelation 4, it says, And the voice I had heard first speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit. And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Now, what I want to point out here is being in the Spirit is different than physically being there. Like, I actually think because it says that in the text, that leads me to believe that John did not physically go to heaven and have this encounter. He had this encounter in his inner man, in his spirit, in his heart, in his mind. And so when it says, come up here, he says, come into that place where you're perfectly communing with God. So you can have this encounter. Now, the radical thing about this was, like, this completely changed John's perspective about what was going on. I mean, he's looking at this scene, the throne... God on the throne. God has a scroll that cannot be opened. And he starts weeping. Because no one in heaven or on earth or anywhere else can open the scroll. And the angel turns to him and says, hey, stop crying. Because the lion of the tribe of Judah is here. And he looks down and sees a lamb. Okay, That would change your mind. It, it completely changed his perspective. Like Jesus has this all under control. How could I ever question it? The second example I'll share with you is just uh, Acts 10. Peter, it says this. About noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. So I think the word trance is weird. 
it has a very simple meaning. It's being in the spirit in a way that, that it's an ecstatic experience where the spirit speaks. That's it. <laughs> but that happens a lot in scripture. Prophets fall into trances. People fall into trances. But you go into this place in the spirit and encounter God. Now, I do think throughout scripture, Moses and the burning bush, Moses had a real physical encounter with God in that burning bush. Paul on the road to Damascus, he did not in his spirit, in his mind, in his heart, have an encounter with the risen Christ. He had a real live encounter with the risen Christ. But I think examples like this, they show us we're not always going to have encounter, burning bush encounters, but we can all have in the spirit encounters where our mind, our heart, our soul, our spirit communes with God. Paul talks about prayer in this way where he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what's God, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, I, one of the things that I think we need to clarify is like all my whole being, my body, my soul, my spirit is subject to the world. Like I had that experience in that, that operating room, in that OB room. And I had to encounter that with everything that I am. And it shaped who I was. But Paul promises, like, actually, if you surrender your spirit, your mind, your heart, your will to God, he will renew it. <laughs> like, that, just think about it, That's a really powerful promise. Like everything, he actually says, actually, everything, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Consecrate it, like give it over to God because he can make it new and new and new and new and tomorrow new and new. But it's in this process of communing with God. Um, I, I, I just want to just say this, like some of my most powerful encounters with God's presence have just been alone with him, opening up my imagination to him. Like, Jesus, what, what are you doing? Like, I, I will often just get home from work. We've got this big 60 year old tree in our front yard and I'll just go sit out there and I'll have a chair for Jesus. And I'll open my imagination up to him to say, like, what, what do you, what's your perspective on my day, Lord? And he meets me there. I've had really powerful encounters in a prayer line, but I will tell you, like, you can all do this by yourself with God, opening up your prophetic imagination. Which brings me back to my story. Okay. Um, a few years after Ben was born, I finished seminary. I took uh, my first pastor to a vineyard church in Nebraska. And to be honest, like we just moved on. But when I, I got to that pastorate, I very quickly began to realize, like, I do not know how to do this. I don't know how to pastor people. 
Like, I don't know how to preach. I don't know how to pray for people. Like, this is hard. And I felt like the Lord really started to unravel my identity. See, I actually think my identity at this point in my life, like, I've been following Jesus for a long time then. I've been following Jesus for a long time now. But I had wrapped my identity around the American dream more than around the kingdom dream. Like, if I just have enough experience, if I just have enough education, which I'm way overeducated, like, maybe I can handle this. I'm tough. I just got out of the Coast Guard. I graduated from... Like, I can pull this off. And Jesus is like, so gently started to peel away at that and say, like, no, you need to be 101% dependent on me or you will not survive this. And I think he was talking about my pastorate, but I think he meant my whole life. Like, you bet, like, I need to just figure out how to surrender myself to him. Um, About that time, I was introduced to kind of praying in this imaginative prayer way, kind of opening up this prophetic imagination. And so one day, I actually went out to uh, a friend's cornfield. I mean, this was in farm country. It's a beautiful place that overlooked the creek and had some big trees and a big cornfield. And I was just sitting out there. And this replayed in my mind, like this encounter that, like, can you see how much fear you were under? Can you see how much, how scared you were, how alone you felt? And so I, I asked the Lord, like, just show me your perspective on this situation. And I began to replay that night in my mind. This time, though, when I was overcome with fear and I fell down on the sofa, I saw that Jesus was sitting right there with me comforting me, whispering to me, letting me know, like, I'm, I am always with you. And then I looked up and I saw the medical emergency people like flipping Emily and I saw Jesus with them, leading them, telling them what to do, how to do it, and actually participating in the process. And then, you know, that moment of control when the OB walked in and everything seemed to get better, I saw Jesus with his arms around the OB whispering in his ear, do this, do that, do this next. And the Lord completely changed my perspective. Where I had understood that moment as I was all alone. I had to survive Uh, in in a second it was gone. And it was filled with a complete knowledge that Jesus is in control. (laughs) He's got this situation. And he's good. Okay? Actually, last night when I was... I, I drove out to a lake last night and I was just kind of going through my sermon and I was telling this story to myself... And I actually found myself opening up my prophetic imagination to the whole situation again. And I was in the kitchen, (laughs) overcome with fear and like, Lord, I've only been married for two years. Like, how? Help. And I saw Jesus in the kitchen with us. And I saw him go up to the bathroom with us and whisper in my ear, it's time to go to the hospital. (laughs) And 
I'd never really thought about that part of the story until last night. I want to say something very clearly here. Like, I think a therapist, a psychiatrist, which I've visited, a spiritual director, like, they could take you through a thought process, a thought exercise, where you relived this moment and they tried to help you reframe that. I want to tell you, like, this is not what I'm talking about. I am talking about having an encounter with the living God where he shows you what reality is. Yeah. <laughs> like in, in a second, I had a different perspective on what reality was in that hospital room. I had an encounter with the presence of God, you guys. And I believe the spirit of prophecy is available here for every single person today. I mean, I shared a really traumatic experience. And I, I hope if you've had traumatic experiences, God would change your perspective on what was going on in that. But this can be really simple. I mean, this, this can, every time you sit down to read scripture, you're sitting in your lawn, you're sitting on your back deck, you're driving in your car. Like opening up your prophetic imagination to, Jesus, what are you doing right now? That, I would encourage you. Like I think you could all do that. And actually today I encourage you, you know, one of the ways that the spirit of prophecy is released throughout scripture is through music. You know, David playing the harp, um, all, all kinds of stories. So I would encourage you today, as you enter into worship, open up your prophetic imagination and ask God, like, what? What are you doing right now in my life? And I think he'll change your mind. I think he wants, I, I actually, I know he wants to show you he's good. I mean, you might not even be a Christian yet. And I believe Jesus will come to you and speak into your life and convince you of who he is today. That's it. <laughs> um, So actually, I would love it if you guys send me an email, jason at vcnw.org, and just if you have an encounter today and just share it with me or grab me uh, one way or the other. But uh, we're going to take the offering now and prepare to enter into worship. We will enter into worship with our finances. There's a basket on the left side of the aisle, if you've never done this before. If you can grab that and pass it down, people can put their offering in. And as I pray for the offering, I'm just going to pray that the spirit of prophecy is released upon us today, okay? Father, thank you. I thank you for this church again and again and again. As the faithful people that give of their money, give of their time, just to make this place what it is. And I pray right now that you will release the spirit of prophecy in this room. Come Holy Spirit, just make yourself completely known to every person sitting in here. Who you are, what you're like, what you think about their life and their circumstances. More Lord. In Jesus name, amen.